Wow, what a difference a week makes. Yeah. No it's doubt. um I mean, just to let you guys know, you know the Money Guy show, we want to be your source for good financial information. We also want to entertain you because sometimes money you can get lost in the weeds with it. But I, I knew we had an issue, Bo, when even creating a thumbnail for this special question and yeah. answer show. Um we didn't have anything that reflected because we're kind of fun loving guys. Sure. And you know, we didn't have anything that reflected that. So it showed me that man, this is when you're looking for thumbnails that reflect the time that you're in. It shows what unique periods. Because yeah. just think about the, the week has just changed so much. Schools are now out, and we're going to be doing remote learning. We've got travel restrictions. Yep. You know, globally, who knows if it's going to happen? Do any impact domestically? Uh, both of us weren't even supposed to be here this yeah. week. We're both supposed to be traveling. Grocery stores. I mean, we're, we're seeing. Fortunately, it looks like. You can still get a lot of supplies, but toilet paper, cleaning supplies, mm-hmm. things like that. I mean, every grocery store I've been in has, you know, stated policies sure. now to keep people from hoarding. And then social distancing has now hit our vocabulary. Yep. It, it is one of those things. So we want to be serious about this because this is, um, we know this is one of those times we'll look back. They'll be talking about this 50 years, 100 yep. years from now. There'll be books written about this. There will be after action reports talking about this. So a lot of you guys, and it, it, it does deserve to have the level of action we're taking because people's lives are at stake, especially our parents, our grandparents, anybody who's in that dangerous zone or has underlying health issues, that is, this is serious business. Yep. And that's why I would encourage everybody, we're going we're to focus on the financial things you need to consider, but I do encourage everybody, go to the sources, go to the CDC. Um, watch the daily press briefings because there's, I know I am glued to those type of things because I can, this reminds me a lot of ways after we had the, the 2008, 2009 financial crisis, there was started to be daily briefings sure. on what was going on with, you know, shotgun marriages and so forth in the banking sector. There's nothing like that because this is not something that was because the financial system is coming apart. This is more like a, a natural disaster, a war, we're all kind of grouped in this. The whole global world yep. is grouped into this same situation. So I think it is worthwhile to make sure you're preparing your family, doing the good hygiene, also following the guidelines that are being put out by the government. But um, I do want to pay respect to that, but I also want to make sure we equip you with the right decisions you should be making for your family to protect your wallet as well as your long-term goals because it is very easy to depart from the path that's going to get you through this. So what we want to do today is we're going to, this is a live Q&A. We want to give you some opportunity to ask us questions, kind of get our takes, get our insights. But before we do that, we wanted to kind of lay some foundational thoughts out there for you about how you should be looking at this from a financial perspective and how you ought to think about this in the grand scheme of financial uh, decision-making and ultimately wealth building. So I kind of want to jump in and talk about staying the course. Sure. We're getting the questions. This is the part where if you have a financial advisor, this is where you go quickly find out if your financial advisor is playing in the majors or if they're working their way through the minor leagues right now because there is a lot of questions that are coming in from clients. And one of the first ones everybody is dealing with this is, why don't we go to cash, let things calm down, and then get back into the market later? This is always the question that comes up when we start having a lot of volatility. Yeah, and generally it goes something like this, and I, this is how I was here. Someone always starts to say, hey, hey, by the way, I'm not freaking out. Yeah. I'm not scared. I'm not, 
but I think it's going to get worse. So why don't we just go to cash? I'm not freaking out, but why don't we just make a huge decision to change the course that we are on? And, and, and it makes sense because emotionally in the short term, it feels better to do something to sure. react and realize also human nature is we are herd animals. So it makes sense that when we spot, you know, some type of danger, our first gut reaction is, Let's go seek safer ground. Sure. But here's the problem with it is that I, I've been through quite a few downturns. I've actually, I'm old enough. I've been through bear markets mm-hmm. and you never know the day of recovery. That's right. The day that we hit the bottom of the market, it feels like every other day. It's not like there's a, a press release or some type of information that goes out and says, guess what? All clear from here on out. You've survived. Congratulations. It happens. And then you start noticing we have a, we put together a few days. Mm-hmm. It's that whole falling knife. You never know when the market. That's why you have to be careful. A lot of you guys, I, I, look, we did it too. We've already funded our IRAs. We've already funded our, our you know health savings accounts for the year. We tried to be opportunistic, and then we realized, hey, the timing on that wasn't perfect. Wasn't perfect. So you you know you're, you're starting to catch on, and that does impact you emotionally. So what we tell people is to realize the worst days usually have are followed by some of the best days. Sure. There is a lot of return that occurs in very short period of times. I know when we, we've done a lot of sh- presentations, we show the worst periods for financial markets, and I'm always surprised that the, the brethren, the period that shows the best periods in the markets, typically follow right really afterwards. After. So we thought we'd show a few illustrations on why missing some of the best days in the market is actually – so powerful to looking at your long-term performance. And so it's a really hard thing to do. I mean, we all, we all, almost everyone agree that we don't have any sort of ability to time the markets really well. Well, the immediate question you should have is just how costly could it be if I get it wrong? And so this is what we said. We said, if we want to look at what happens if we just miss the best days of investing. So mm-hmm. uh, we're going to look at the S&P 500, just the 500 largest companies here in this country. And we're going to go all the way back to 1980 through the end of 2018. So we're looking at a 38-year period here. Well, if you would have just invested that $10,000 in 1980 and just let it ride all the way through 2018, <clears throat> your $10,000 would have turned into almost $660,000. Pretty powerful stuff. So let's just stop right there and acknowledge the power of compounding interest, the power of letting the market do what the market does. Because in this time period, we saw oil issues. We saw a great recession. We saw dot-com bubble burst. We saw all kinds of huge black swan events that still allowed a $10,000 investment to turn into $660,000. This is this slide is a perfect illustration of why wealth creation is so simple. You just put the money in the market, let compounding yep. interest do it. But wealth creation might be simple, does not necessarily mean it's easy. Exactly because right. remember, human nature is going to tell you, seek safety, protect yourself. Because there's, as Bo said, there's lots of bad stuff that happened in this 38-year period. So let's talk about now. What happens if you did do what everybody's gut reaction is? Let's go to cash, wait this out, and then get back into this thing 30 days or just when it feels better. I even had a phone call yesterday where the client said, let's just wait until the dust settles and then we'll be okay. Mm -hmm. Let's see why that doesn't work. So if all you did was miss the five best trading days in that 38-year period, Instead of ending up with $660,000, you would end up with just under $430,000. Wow. So five trading days cost you that much. If you missed 10, so we're only talking about two weeks, two business weeks here, 10 days, 
your 10,000 will have only turned into 318,000. You already cut it in half. If you miss the best 30 trading days, so one month worth of trading days, it's only 125,000. And if you were to miss the best 50 days in that 38-year cycle, your 10,000 would have only turned into 57,000. Now, here's what's interesting. If you look at how many trading days there are in a year, I want to say it's like 252, something like that. You multiply that times 38, there's something like 9,500 trading days, right. somewhere in that ballpark. I think it's 9,576 or something like that. If you just miss 50 of those 9,500 and some odd trading days, it's 0.52%. 0.52% of all trading days, if you're not in the market, could be the difference in a portfolio of $660,000 or $60,000. Yeah. Now, the immediate thing that someone says, well, well, guys, you did this all wrong. What happens if you bit miss the worst trading days? Yeah, the illustration would show something very similar. We're simply making the assessment here that you neither have the ability to miss the bet worst or miss the best. But what we know is if you try to time it, odds are you're going to miss out on the best. Well, you got to get it right twice. That's right. Even if you nailed this thing on the bottom and went straight to cash, that recovery does happen so quickly that how do you know when to get back in? Because like right. I said, March 9th of 2009 felt like every other day, yep. but that was the beginning of the end. So that leads to the next question that a lot of people will have is, okay, I hear you guys, and I understand that, and that's great, but this is different. This is completely different. We've never experienced like this. There's a reason we're calling this a novel virus is because the human body, we're all susceptible mm -hmm. to this. We don't know how this is going to flow through the population. So we're in a new paradigm. We're in a new period. And I'm telling people, look, I know this is unique, but this feels very similar to all the downturns I've experienced sure. in my professional career. I mean, if you think about all the things that have happened, the dot-com bubble. Mm -hmm. I mean, we've had a lot of geopolitical stuff. We've had 9-11. Yep. We've had, you know, the, the financial crisis where the wills were literally coming off the financial system that we all count on in the markets in yep. general. You know, we're for your banking, for you getting paid. It was all going bad really quick. So we've all experienced really horrible times. And then I remember, hey, I've kind of been here. I remember how this is how this has felt. So I felt like it, this was a perfect illustration to show how going through this can actually build value for you. Mm -hmm. So all my younger listeners, this might be. I, I just did a New York Times piece that went out yesterday. We'll, we'll make sure that that's in the link that mm -hmm. people can go find. But it's for millennials. On this is the first downturn they've ever experienced sure. as, investors. as investors. How should they handle this? I'm telling you guys. Bottle this up because the gut feeling to herd to safety is something that will serve you well for the rest of your wealth building life because this never feels good. It never feels easy to go against what you psychologically and emotionally want to do for yourself. Mm -hmm. So then you're probably saying, well, what does this guy know? How can he be sure this is the case? Well, fortunately for you guys, I'm old. <laughs> I mean, it, it, no, it's serious. I've been through oh, some several downturns. I've also, before we started calling this content creation, we all know I started a podcast in 2006. Yep. We know the YouTube channels had success. But what people don't realize is there was a term before we call it content creators. This is pre-social media. We called ourselves columnists. And I had the um, opportunity that I was writing articles for, for a newspaper Back in the early 2000s, 
And I want you to pay attention to something here. We have it up on the screen. I wrote so a y- column. A young man wrote this column. Well, I mean, you, fortunately, the, the picture um, is kind of, it didn't age well, you know, <laughs> when you tried to transfer this to a slide. But yes, that is me back in October 3rd of 2002. So mm-hmm. what is so important about October 3rd of 2002? That date is approximately, what, four days? Mm-hmm. Five, so four to five week. days from us reaching the dead bottom of the dot-com bubble. Yep. And, and so I wrote an art, this column that's titled, What You Should Know in an Uncertain Market. Mm-hmm. And here's what I want people to realize. I put something in this column that we're now going to go back and we have the benefit of we've lived through mm-hmm. more. We can put what I said in that column to the test to see, did I know what I was talking about? And was it realistic? And is this something we can count about count on now? Because I do believe... We will make it through this. This is something that there is going to be a lot of bent-up demand. Yes, this is going to have ripple effects. Yes, this may cause a recession. But we've been here before, guys. This country is resilient. We will make it through this just like we did in the past. But here's the key points I want you to understand. So this is what you said in the article, Brian. You said, on average, markets rise by 9.8% one month after they reach the bottom of the bear market. And then, very pithy, you said, if we could only know when the bottom was, wouldn't we all be rich? Furthermore, if you expand the time period to one year from the bottom of a bear market, the stock markets historically rise 26.2% over the subsequent 12 months. Words of Brian Preston. So, two key points there. First month, you're going to have about a 10% pop in the market. Mm -hmm. First 12 months, 26.2%. This was written in October 2002. So we have two periods. We have the dot-com bubble, because remember I wrote this before Before, we recovered. And then we have the Great Recession that occurred in 2008 and 2009. Let's kind of go look. You can see those dates up on the calendar. So, Bo, you see there, the end of the bear market occurred October 9th of 2002. What was the rest of the story? So the rest of the story is, over the next month, market made 8.64%, a little over 8.5%. And then you can see the exact same thing in March 9th of 2009. Over the next month, after the market bottomed out, it made 8.5%. So if you were someone that just said, you know what, I want to get out and I want to miss this, you would have missed that huge pop right there in the first month following the bottom. I mean, if we were playing horseshoes... That's getting you more than just one point. That's I mean, right. that's leaning up against the post, as <laughs> I'd like to say, because that's really close. So let's talk about 12 months. Okay. So if we look at the next year, uh, after the dot-com bubble burst, the next year, the market returned 22.16% over that next 12-month period. But if you look at the Great Recession, and we'll talk about this in a second, the rubber band, the further you pull down, in the next 12 months following March 9th of 2009, the market made over 50%, 51.51% in the 12 months after the bottom that nobody knew it was the bottom until after we looked back and said, oh, wow, it was the bottom. So let's talk about those two numbers on the outside because you probably know that's got the biggest variation I had predicted back when I wrote the column in 2002, a 26.2% recovery. We look at what happened after the dot-com bubble, and we say, well, that was actually a little less, 22.2%. But then in March of 2009, that was a 52%. What can account for? Is there something we can read and apply to what's going on right now? And I'm telling you, yes. And you mentioned it. Sure. There's what we call the rubber band effect. Remember, markets recover. The reason I could write a column like that and know and look like I almost was reading the tea leaves or giving prophecy is that I do know markets recover in what's called a V-shaped recovery. 
we don't realize when we're selling, a lot of emotional stuff is going on. We just kind of throw out everything. Mm -hmm. And then uh, there comes a point where people realize, hey, there's some value to these companies. It's just, you know, Apple is still going to continue to make iPhones. They don't have a, a leveraged balance sheet. They don't have a lot of debt. There's some value there that yep. we're kind of throwing out on its ear that we ought to pay attention to. So that's how I know is that we go very irrational, go way down. And then one day the market realizes there's some opportunities mm -hmm. out there. So you see those V-shaped recoveries. And we talk about how do you know how fast you'll recover? Typically it is the rubber band effect. If you visualize pulling down a rubber band or a slingshot, the further you pull it down, the more tension, the more energy that is developing when you let go of it, just like the steepness brought it down, the steepness brings it back up. You can, and what is the headline that we've seen? We have reached bear market status, the fastest in history. Yep. This has blown the roof off of how fast this market has reached bear, bear market status that you can only think about the coiling of the energy that is probably being built up. And this is one more reason why you have to be so careful with timing the market. We have a visual that actually does even better on showing this. So let's talk about a history of market ups and downs. So this is uh, the S&P 500 uh, total returns from January of 1926. So this even predates the Great Depression through December of 2017. So after the culmination of the Great Recession. And you can see Below the x-axis in red are the downturns. So we have the Great Depression. We have the late, the late 60s, the late 70s. We have the dot-com bubble bursting. We have the Great Recession. When you look at these downturns in contrast to the subsequent bull markets that followed, and you think as an investor, man, which one of these would I rather participate in? Or would I be willing to put up with a little bit of short-term pain in order to receive the long-term benefit of being an investor in those bull markets, we think that this picture says everything. Yeah. It's not about timing the market. It is about time in the market. If you're someone who's trying to get out and time it and play it just right, the odds are you're going to miss some of the most exciting investment days that the markets are going to present you with. So let's get let's look at because I think Bo is spot on, but I want to kind of create some teachable moments here. We can see from the dot com bubble that says that it was about a twenty, you know, a twenty was it twenty five twenty five months. months? Yep. So that's a period. That's why when you look at the rubber band, it was being pulled down, but slowly the energy was coiled. That's why when the recovery did occur, it was about a twenty two percent. Is based upon the steepness, the length of time. How long did it take to pull that market down yep. to bring it back up? Whereas contrast that with the Great Recession, which was 16 months, but it was much, much steeper. That's right. You can see the energy that was built on that, and that's why it led to a 12-month return of about 51%. You can make some, some correlations to how that will likely play out in this market, too. So that is such a powerful thing, but it does tie into, and I thought it would be crazy because we do want to give you some tips and tricks on what you should be doing with your own personal finances. But how do you not look at the optimistic side of this slide where you see how much better it is to be an investor versus betting against yep. what's going on in the economy? And how could we not do a quote from the Oracle of Omaha talking about predicting things and being accurate? There's a reason Warren Buffett has the nickname of Oracle from Omaha. Let's let's kind of look at a few of his quotes. I had, I put two slides together. Here's the first one. For two, and this is, by the way, I want to give this some context. This comes from the 2015 
letter to shareholders that he does for Berkshire Hathaway. And realize 2015 was not a great year to be an investor. So Warren, every now and then, in his letter to shareholders, will give us a pep talk. He'll say, guys, it's going to be okay. Pay attention. I've been around, I've been on this earth for 80 plus years. I have watched my wealth go to $81 billion. I've learned a few things. That experience has created wisdom, which I've learned a little bit, and he shares it with us. So here's his quotes. Here's the first one. For 240 years, it's been a terrible mistake to bet against America, and now is no time to start. America's golden goose of commerce and innovation will continue to lay more and larger eggs. America's social security promises will be honored and perhaps made more generous. And yes, America's kids will live far better than their parents did. I know that seems scary right now. You're looking at what's going on. You're going, how is that possible it is, guys. This yep. pizza pie is getting bigger. Innovation, opportunities are out there. We just have to weather the volatility that's coming to us. And that leads to the second quote from Warren. Same letter to shareholders. Moreover, investors who diversify wildly, w- widely and simply sit tight, I will repeat that, diversify widely and simply sit tight with their holdings are certain to prosper. In America, gains from winning investments have always far more than offset the losses from clunkers. I mean, it's, it's, it's just incredible. During the 20th century, the Dow Jones Industrial Average, an index fund of sorts, soared from 66, that's not a typo, to 11,497, with its component companies all the while paying ever-increasing dividends. There's just something to that. I mean, and look, by the way, you can see back at the end of 2015, or he was writing this probably in January, February of 2016, the Dow was at 11,497. We're sitting in the low 20s right now. So even from the time that Warren wrote this, there was opportunities. And look, yes, it could come down. There could be worse days before we get to good days. But I'm telling you, we are getting to the point that you need to have your plan of action to know how to survive this. Yeah, you know, investing is like a, is a really interesting thing. It's one of the few activities that it seems like you're often rewarded more for inaction than for action. The yeah. action you need to be thinking about is, okay, how much am I saving? What am I saving to? Am I following the foo? You need to focus on controlling the things that you can control and not trying to control the things that you can't control. Investors, just like what Warren says right here, get rewarded for being patient through time. So let's 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 pivot now and talk about what you can do. And this ties in perfectly to what you just said. Great transition point, Bo, is that I think you first you need to separate what's actionable mm-hmm. versus unactionable information. Yep. I mean, there is so much going on right now. Getting information on school closures, finding out what you should be doing to protect your family from a health perspective is all actionable yep. information. However, watching the daily whipsaw reactions of the stock markets and the financial markets, I would argue, has reached the point of being unactionable. Yep. So you don't need to freak yourself out. Uh, this is, look, because I'm going to get into the next steps of things you should have already done or things you should be thinking about, but you are probably at the point the best thing you can do is cut it off yep. or, or, or quit looking at the, the daily account statements. I will personally tell you, I have quit logging into my financial app app that has my accounts. I'm just not looking at it anymore. It's not serving any purpose. I know that it's rough out there, but I also know I had a plan that's good before coronavirus came. 
It's good during coronavirus, and it will be good after coronavirus. And that's the important part. And how do I know that it's good? So here's the first thing. Number one, double check your bridge. This is the bridge. Do you have enough non-risk or unrisk, no-risk assets like bonds, like cash, that you know that you have a bridge to get you over these troubled waters for the next 12, 18, 24 months? Because this will recover. If you are retiring five years in the future, I th- I, I'm, I'm willing to say I, I think that this will probably not have as big of an impact as you think it will. This is one of those times where we've come through such a strong bull market that a lot of folks say, why would I hold cash? It's Mm -hmm. not even paying me 2%. The investment markets are turning so much better. Why would I keep emergency reserves? Why would I have that? This right here is the reason. If you would have asked any of us a year ago, hey, next year, is there going to be a pandemic that's going to send the world into a frenzy and cause the stock market to decline very rapidly? None of us would have seen that coming. That's exactly but right. the folks who planned well and said, okay, I've got my emergency reserves and I have an appropriate asset allocation that takes into account my unique risk tolerance and time horizon, if you have those things in place, you understand right now that this too shall pass. You shouldn't have to be making adjustments now because the plan should have been good before you started. And now it's good even in midst of the craziness. Well, I think it's one of those things where if you are looking for something you should be reviewing or something you should be taking action on, go look at your automated automated savings and investment plan. So if you are part of a 401k, if you have a monthly savings goal that's going in, that's the part. Now we, we've passed the point of getting cute, trying to figure out when you time your entry into this market. I do think you can go review all of your automated savings plans Make sure that you're doing everything you should there. And if you are long-term, say you're 55 and younger and you know you're working and you're out there, this is a chance to go look at your allocation for your monthly savings as well as turning on reinvesting dividends. Go and be opportunistic that way. Don't get cute with trying to time the market, but be opportunistic to make sure that your automatic investment plan is going to capitalize off of this volatility. I want to pause there for a moment. This is what Brian did say. He said, be opportunistic with how you're thinking about your automated savings. This is what he did not say. Take all of your cash reserves that's there for a reason, exists for a reason, and start putting it in the market because this is the opportunity of the lifetime. Absolutely not. If you're someone who wants to take advantage of the opportunity of the lifetime, look at your monthly, daily, weekly spending. Are there discretionary items you could potentially cut out on? Take that saved money and invest? That's great. That's fine. Do that. Don't start taking the emergency fund out of the emergency fund and putting it at risk because that's not the purpose that it's supposed to serve. Don't remove the emergency brakes is that's what it. I'm hearing. You know, there's a reason we all get in elevators because this is a elevators go up and down and it feels like definitely markets right now are going up, up and down. But none of us would ever get in an elevator. We know that it's just a, a little cable, probably no thicker than than what I'm showing here that's carrying all the weight. None of us would get in that elevator if we knew it didn't have a backup redundancy system like emergency brakes. Mm -hmm. It's the same thing with your portfolio. Here what Bo said is that you do need to make sure you have your bridge, you have your emergency reserves, you have enough money to get you through this process. But yes, I want you to look at your automated investment plan and make sure it's also reflecting that there are going to be 
opportunities. Yep. But I like the fact when you're doing systematic, it takes the behavior out of it. We are past the behavioral play. Everybody who thought they were smart, including ourselves with funding our IRA contributions, our, our HSA contributions for the year, and we were shown that, no, there's more to go. And it could get worse before it gets better. That's why it's important to create systematic meaning removing the emotions processes that keep you on track mm -hmm. to reach your goals as well as create opportunities to be that financial mutant that does get you through this process. Um, I, and that led to, I kind of wanted to, to do this before we kind of opened up two questions. Sure. Is I know a lot of people right now, we appeal to do-it-yourselfers yep. because we give you all the tools, we give you all the tricks because it is part of the abundance cycle where we're going to come love on you. We want you to come absorb as much of this information as you can for free, learn, apply, grow, reach a level of success. But I think there are probably a number of you out there watching this. You feel right now in this craziness, you feel like a rudderless ship. Yep. Yes, you are a, some of you are even big ships. You are some of these cruise liners. You have built up enough assets. You've had enough success. But now you're like, what am I doing here? I don't feel like I have a plan. I don't know that I, because instead, I feel like I'm now playing catch up or I'm reacting versus having a plan that's good before, during, and even after. That's the problem, I think, and I, I said it earlier. This is when you can tell either, either if you're a do-it-yourselfer or you're working with a financial advisor who's in their minor leagues, you quickly get to see who's doing what they're supposed to. That's so right. I would encourage you, if you need a rudder, this is the time to probably go figure out what your plan is. Yeah, and so, you know, I had a, a buddy call me the other day, Brian, he said, hey, I'm just curious, you know, I've heard you talk to me before about, and you say, like, when stuff gets crazy, you shouldn't be doing anything, so are you guys really sitting around just doing nothing? And I said, absolutely not. One of the things that we're doing right now for clients is we recognize that there's an opportunity the market has presented us that if you have taxable investments, there's a lot of har a lot of losses in there that we can go harvest. So for a lot of clients, without changing their allocation, we'll go harvest those losses that we know we're going to be able to use in the future to offset other capital gains or potentially even ordinary income for this year as well as a number of years into the future. For clients who came to us who had large embedded gain positions, maybe it was in a company stock or something that grandma gave to them 50 years ago, we weren't able to allocate away from that because of the tax consequence of it. Now, this has allowed an opportunity where we could potentially allocate away from some of those positions. So it is giving yep. us a great opportunity to look at, okay, is the portfolio structured the way that we want it to be structured, not from a risk-on, risk-off perspective. That should have been right on the front end, but from a tax optimization standpoint, long-term. Well, it also gives you a chance to know your why. Yep. I mean, what are we, what are we even saving this money for? What are the long-term goals? What's the risk profile? What are the needs that you have in the short term? If you can have somebody have essentially a beacon, you know, or that lighthouse up on the hill, since we're definitely in turbulent, stormy waters, that's what, if you can have that, it does give you purpose. And then here's the biggest thing. Some of us are not equipped to have that worldview where we can go outside the herd and be different. So you, some of us, I mean, what have we been doing the last two days? Writing lots of emails, yep. talking on the phone to a lot of clients, making sure that we're holding their hands to understand, you, we got this. We're yep. going to make it through it. Volatility is your long-term friend. It's only through volatility that we can get out and do the pruning of the bushes to make sure that this tree is going to grow strong and continue to do well. I know that sounds hard. I know that even might sound colder than I want it to because sure. I get, I feel your pain. I will tell you, any good financial advisor right now, you might be losing sleep, but I can promise you, 
your financial advisor is losing sleep yep. too because I, we all bear the weight of how much of our clients are counting on to make it through this. And it never feels easy. Even though I've been through this before, it never, never feels easy. It, it hurts every time I go through it. But I also know this too shall pass. Yep. We will make it through these stormy waters. We will have moments where we can high five again instead of just doing the the elbow, elbow. that we're, we're allowed to do right now. Those high five moments will come in the future, but we do have to make it through yep. this. And, and I think we can do it. Just keep your head. Pay attention. And by the way, a lot of you guys are probably going to have questions. I know the government is trying to take action right now. Mm -hmm. There's legislation that's being developed. Are you know? Can you talk about that stuff? Because I even saw it, Bo, before the show started. Yeah, you we had, had a bunch questions, of questions streaming in. in. Yep. Here's my promise to you guys: we are we care so much about you that as legislation passes, we will do future shows where we tell you what you can do, what you can learn from that, how you can apply, and you know, and know how this impacts you. I am not going to get into, because there's a lot of stuff on the nightly news about proposals. Mm -hmm. I think you have to be very careful because anything that is dealing with politics is going to have some weird, they leak stuff here, they say stuff here. It's not actionable. It's actually noise that can distract you. We are not going to cover stuff that I think right now is working its way through the political process. But I can assure you, as soon as we have actionable information, we have legislation that you know, the House, the Senate is passed, and the president is moments from putting his signature on, we're going to be your resource. I want to make sure there is so much that you want to be, We, I want to be your resource that you feel like you have a place to come to to get the information to know what to do with your family. And with that said, that's probably a great lead into. Let's answer some questions. All right, so, oh, man, we we got a ton. Let's just bank them. Uh, let me answer the first question. Somebody on here said, Hey, uh, Bo, uh, are you okay? It's not, you sound kind of nasally. This is what's going on. Uh, I was asked months ago to MC a CrossFit competition of this course. past weekend. And so for like eight hours, I was yelling and cheering everybody on at the competition. So that's why my voice sounds like that. I'm actually feeling great right Do now. Do you realize how lucky you are that we're in such a unique time? I can't completely just beat on you for what the statement you just CrossFit competition, yeah. MC. yeah. There's a lot you're of well, really low-lying fruit there that I would love to take to, to utilize, but I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna pass right now because it's just not the appropriate time. So I want to give everybody uh, I want to give everybody we're gonna answer these questions. Some will be quick. Some some will take a little bit longer. Here's the first one from Don. He says, "Hey, I have cash reserves ready to buy a dip. Should I put it all in right now or dollar cost average over the next month?" Uh, this is a really interesting one, Brian, and I want to hear your thoughts. But I'm going to frame Don's question. One, should I use my emergency reserves to invest? Question one. That'll be answered quickly. Two, how should I think about dollar cost averaging right now? And I have some deep thoughts on that second part. I, I think it's interesting. Uh, part of me as a financial advisor, I'm always paying attention to what clients are asking, where things lie, because I'm trying to figure out where we are in the cycle of market emotions. I mean, just so you guys know, when, when I'm not only trying to give you the counsel. I'm also paying attention to what you're saying to try to hear, to see if there's something to glean from that. I was a little nervous over the last two weeks because I have had clients who were foregoing, and I'm talking about clients that were even in their 70s, sure. foregoing buying cars to, um, you know, to, to get in the market and things like that. That, that. that concerns me only not from the action. I actually think sometimes if it was appropriate, maybe it is a, a good time to do that. But does it fit into the long term? And is this more of, just like his question, should I take cash reserves to put into the market and time this thing? 
that's the part that gives me pause because it means we probably haven't cleansed. Because here's the truth of the matter. It's probably going to get worse before it gets better because people, when we're getting close to the bottom, will cuss the stock market. We're already getting close. I will tell you, I'm getting to the point, I'm getting calls where people are cussing Sorry, any type out. of risk assets. They're like, what the heck were you thinking putting us in this thing? It's too crazy. But so I, I, would, I would caution you from getting into those emergency break moments. Remember I talked about elevators have little cables holding lots of weight. The only reason we get into them is because we have emergency brakes that protect us in case the cable ever breaks. The cable is potentially broken. We need to have the bridge assets, the cash reserves, the fixed income that will get us to the other side. Now, with that said, I know that we do have people that their cash reserves, because I, I, I will tell you, I learned from the last financial crisis I was like, I'm always going to keep a little extra powder money. I'm yep. going to keep a little extra that's above and beyond cash reserves. I don't know if I'm going to need to buy a building for the business. I don't know if I'm going to need to to have this. You know, I always want to keep a little bit of extra money for that purpose. It's not considered cash reserves. I do think you can be opportunistic with that, but you there's a good chance you're going to get it wrong from an emotional standpoint. Because remember, nobody wants to buy stocks when there actually is the best time to buy stocks. Yep. So how do you go ahead and line yourself up for success? I would recommend creating a systematic plan. Yes. So um, I'll tell you, for instance, let me give you two examples of some, some things I'm doing. Is I have, um, everybody knows I'm on an aggressive pay down my mortgage for the next five years. I was going to have my house paid off. Yep. Over the last month, I have changed where now I'm paying back to the normal mortgage, but I have increased my dollar cost averaging on my monthly systematic plan to account for that. I've also, my monthly investments, dollar cost averaging, I've increased that and, and made sure I fine-tuned it. I think you could do the same thing. Yes, dollar cost average over the next few months, because more than likely, if you're trying to just go off your gut, your gut will be wrong. There's a reason the herd misses the recoveries and also misses the opportunities is because your gut will likely be wrong. So systematic investing is going to be your friend. I, I agree with that full fall. Now I want to talk to the other side of the coin because I've actually yeah. seen a lot of this, right? Uh, someone say, hey, I'm, I'm sitting on, like, here's a great question from Cole Lewis. He said, hey, if we're sitting on a sum of money we've earmarked for investing, when should we put it into the market? Or would you recommend putting it on the principal of the house? Well, the que that's a pretty easy question. If you're under 45 and you think about what the mortgage rate of your mortgage is versus what the army of dollar bills can do for you, odds are it probably tilts in favor of building your army of dollar bills, getting that invested. So then the question becomes, okay, how do I approach that? And I'm having folks all the time that are saying to me, hey, I know we're on this dollar. We put together this plan and it was great and I loved it. We're going to dollar cost average into the market. But man, the market's getting hammered right now. Should we accelerate that? And so the thought is, there's nothing wrong with adjusting your plan. But here's what we don't know. What if this is just the beginning of the downturn? And you decide, you know what, I'm going to accelerate all my dollar cost averaging into today's purchase. I'm going to buy everything today. Or last week's. Or last week's purchase. Or the week before. Because all of them looked attractive. Two weeks ago, it looked attractive. And last week, it looked attractive. And this week, it looked attractive. And in re realistic terms... 10 years from now, it probably won't make an, a huge difference which week you got in. But behaviorally, will you be able to stand it if you put all of your money in now and this thing drops another 15, 20, 30 percent? We don't know if it's going to happen, but the reason that we even do things like dollar cost averaging strategies is to remove the emotion from it. And remember, there are two emotions when it comes to investing. There is fear and there is greed. Yep. We try to dollar cost average to remove both of those so that we don't get it wrong. So for example, what Brian said, and I think this is beautiful, if you want to change your dollar cost averaging strategy, 
don't just pull everything into this current period, but yeah. maybe increase it. If I'm thinking about dollar cost averaging $10,000 a month, maybe the change I make isn't that I invest $50,000 today, it's I increase it to like $12,000 a month or something like that. Because you, most people try to time the market on the get out. Well, now we're seeing people trying to time the market on the get in. Maybe you're right, maybe you're not. The reason that we put plans and strategies in place is to prevent us from being 100% right, but to also prevent us from being 100% wrong. Well, I think investing creates inevitable wealth. Because remember, wealth creation, is, wealth creation is simple, not necessarily easy. So the systematic plan protects you from yourself because you will, your behavior, your emotions will be your worst enemy. Volatility is healthy. You just have to make it through it, but also balance it. I mean, that's, that's the thing is that we are in unique times here. Protect your family from a health perspective, but also make sure you're not making emotional decisions from a financial perspective. So here's one. This says, this is from uh, Amit. He says, I'm in a 30% tax bracket. Is this a good time to switch 401k contributions to a Roth 401k? I get company match for both. and I'm currently maxing out using a traditional 401k. I'm going to reframe this question to see if I can get to the root of it. Hey, Brian, in light of the volatility, in light of what's going on, should that affect my decision to put money in pre-tax or Roth? Or is there something bigger that affects that that's not market volatility? Well, I mean, you, you know, because we stay pretty steadfast on, this, on this, this guidance. I understand what his question is, is that if things essentially have a 25% off coupon right now, wouldn't it be great to get those assets in tax-free Roth, and then as we slingshot forward, you'll have all that recovery mm -hmm. in tax-free growth? And, that, and, that, and that's great. Sure. And, I, and that might lead you to, because here, here's what I think is great about the guidance we've given in the past, and you can apply it to this too. We think if you are in a, a marginal rate that is less than 25%, and you're young especially, by all means, go Roth. Sure. We do give you gray zone coverage of 25 to 30%. If you add your federal plus your state income taxes to 25 to 30%, you're kind of in that gray zone. Yep. Yeah, by all means, you choose, should you be pre-tax, should you be after-tax, I mean, or tax-free like Roth? It, it might be, you could take this into consideration. This is now a new variable is that you've got to depress financial markets. Yeah, maybe that now pushes you more towards tax-free growth than it does pre-tax deduction, but I think I still stand by the fact that once you're into the higher tax brackets of the 30s, greater than 31% for sure, you might be looking at, yeah, there's still a great tax benefit to getting the deduction. Sure. Um, so I, I still think that stands up. I do think that because everything we do for clients, that's the one thing that's a little harder doing a podcast and a YouTube channel is we try to give you guys information that works for everybody, mm -hmm. but everybody has different ages, different whys, different risk profiles, different goals. So you do have to kind of, uh, you got to internalize that or work with your advisor to make sure that the, the guidance we're giving, because this is, it's general information. You have to figure out how that works for you personally. And I don't mean to put a disclaimer or answer a question with a question, but I do think this shows the nuances or the, the facets that go into financial decision-making that needs to be paid attention to as well. Love it. All right, let's do another question. This one's actually uh, nuts and bolts for an accountant, so I think this is oh, great. This is, no, it's not hard. This is from John Maber. He said, hey, any tips to offer for those of us tax loss harvesting to help avoid wash sales? Now, I didn't recognize this until I started telling this friend about what we were doing for our clients right now that 
the term tax loss harvesting is not just something that everyone knows. So let me explain very easily what that is. If you have an investment, investment X, and it goes down 10%, one of the things that you can do is you can sell investment X and immediately go buy investment Y, assuming they're materially different. And then when investment Y goes up, you're in the exact same position, theoretically, depending on how investments perform. But what you're able to do is by selling that one investment when it's down, you get to lock in those losses, which sounds counterintuitive until you think about how you're taxed on capital gains. If you have capital losses, they can offset capital gains that you recognize, either this year or in future years. So loss harvesting doesn't change the investment strategy, it just changes your tax situation. Well, there are some rules around tax loss harvesting, and the one that he's specifically asking about is the wash sale rule. You care to talk about what a wash yeah, sale is? Wash sale just means that if you buy back something you're taking a loss on, the government does make you, you, you have to offset some of the losses you took for the purchase. So, I mean, I, I don't think it necessarily, I think you have to be aware of wash sale rules so that you don't you know, completely sabotage the, t the loss harvesting. But in relative terms, a lot of times the loss harvest is so big that yes, if there is a short-term wash sell, I don't think it, it doesn't blow up the whole strategy. Sure. You can just p measure the materiality of that month's purchase compared to the loss you're taking, but then also just be aware because there's so many opportunities going on right now. This is, like I said, this is not a U.S., United States problem. This is a global problem. So you, you can be strategic with how you what you're buying into on a systematic basis too. Yep. Um, I mean, what additional would you add to it? No, I, I thought that was great. The thing you can't do is you can't, you know, if you have Apple stock and it's down and you want to sell it, you can't go buy Apple stock again. But if you had Apple stock and it was down, you wanted to go buy some competitor or some different stock that was different, then you can do that. Well, if you're an index or an ETF investor, you might think, okay, well, can I go you know, buy the S&P 500 and sell it and go buy it again? That's probably going to be a wash sale. I mean, obviously, you want to seek the guidance of a professional tax preparer accountant. So you just have to make sure that the thing that you're buying is materially different enough that it doesn't trigger those wash sales. Like a instances. total market index. There we you go. Know, if you Great. sold the S&P 500 and then bought a total market index, you, you know, you're... you're, you're you're allowing yourself to harvest the loss, but also diversifying enough that you stay out of the, the wash sale rules. Um, okay, here's a great one. This is from actually a friend of the show. This is from Daryl Crow. Daryl said, hey, beyond staying the course, do you differentiate between those who are net buyers of investments for the foreseeable future and those who are in retirement and living off of their investment? By all means, that's a great question, Daryl. And here's the, here's the reality of it. And, and we've noticed this with our clients. Our younger clients... Look, their market volatility does reflect the market that we're in. Because yeah. if you're somebody who's in their 30s, 40s, even early 50s, your portfolio is more reflective on the fact that you're not going to need assets. Your bridge is really a bridge over a puddle because you have no you can just step over the puddle. There's no reason to create a ton of conservative stuff in there. So we are seeing clients that if you're younger, you're aggressive just like the markets, but a lot of you guys are already financial mutants, so you're trying to figure out how this is going to benefit you in the long term, since this probably will create some value op opportunities. But Daryl is exactly right that our older clients who are actually approaching retirement in the next five years are, have already hit retirement, and now we replenish their cash flow and essentially create a retirement direct deposit for them. Yep. 
we already had this built into the plan. That's beautiful. I mean, because yep. that's, that's why you, you need to do your planning on the front end so you don't have to be reactionary. The first thing I do when I get a, a concerned call from a client is remind them if we add up their cash, their fixed income, and then any other conservative, because we have a few other conservative type holdings we own. I add them all up and then I divide it by what their burn rate is for the last three, the average of the last three years. Because over three years, you might have car purchases, you have monthly expenses. And, and usually I think it shocks clients like I had a phone call yesterday. I said, you will be okay for the next 16 years. <laughs> I mean, and because, you know, she was concerned. I yeah. was like, we have you, your bridge is so long that you are protected for 16 years. So let's not panic on the risk on assets because we need to give them time to recover. That's why you did create a bridge. So yes, Daryl, you're right. We do for older clients or people, and this is for you guys out there watching too. If you are older and you're counting on these assets, that's why we talk about you have to have the bridge over the troubled waters. When you're younger, that bridge looks more like you stepping over a puddle. You don't need much of a bridge right. at all. But when you know you're going to be in needing to live off these assets over the next 18 months to two years, you need to have that money in some type of form you can get to. Because remember, investing, this is something that I have to remind people constantly. Don't put anything in the financial markets that you can't leave there for five to seven years. I think when markets make money year over year, and we had one of the longest bull markets in history because it went from 2009, let it rest in peace in 2020. That is a huge, that's over mm -hmm. a decade that this bull market ran. And sometimes when you get into long extended bull markets, people just think this thing is like setting a clock and you set the timer, you forget it, and it's just gonna grow like a cake in the oven. That's not the way financial markets work. They go up and down. Yep. So you need to respect the volatility and respect that the holding period on long-term assets needs to be five to seven years. If you have something that you need money, 12 months, 18 months, like a wedding, like you know, a down payment on a house, don't get crazy, don't get cute. That's where you get yourself in trouble. You know, I'm, the next question I'm gonna ask, now this isn't a specific question, but I'm seeing it them thematically throughout our chat. So I'm just gonna go ahead and kind of address it. It's generally this idea about, around like rebalancing. How should I rebalance? Yeah. Should I be thinking about rebalancing? And the answer is, yeah, this, this uh, volatility does give us an opportunity to look at rebalancing. What that means is making changes that we would have made otherwise, but we could not because of tax circumstances, cash flow circumstances, whatever that may be. Here's what rebalancing does not look like. If you were, if you were in a 30-70 portfolio before this thing started, you do not need to rebalance to a 70-30 portfolio now. That's not the way that rebalancing works. Your allocation should be fairly consistent over time. What rebalancing does is it tweaks the slices of pie, right? You ever seen somebody like cut a pie and like one person uses a knife and but someone else, my wife, she uses a fork. And so then I have to come in with a knife to make sure the edges are straight. What rebalancing allows you to do in your portfolio is make sure that the pie edges are straight. You're not just digging in and changing the composition of the pie. So I, I want to make sure I clarify that because we speak in terms of, when you say a 30-70, you're talking about 30% in risk assets, meaning like equities sure. growth, 70% off risk or sure. conservative. And then when you said going from a 30-70, meaning 30% risk, 70% off to a 70-30-70 risk, yeah. 30 off, Flipping it. That that's... Yes, that might be opportunistic, but it also might not tie into your goals, you know, your risk profile. Because remember, this could get worse before it gets better. Sure. We do not want to underplay 
that there's a lot of crazy stuff going on. So that's why your plan and your bridge over troubled waters has to get you through whatever this economy, this pandemic throws your way. Uh, this one is from, it says a cow, but I'm sure I'm mispronouncing that. It's probably like a co or something. So, sorry, a cow, if I pronounce that wrong. Uh, should I rush to buy a house with such a low interest rate right now? Even if it means I don't have a good down payment, less than 10%. I'm going to reframe this. Should I go make a huge, gigantic life decision solely because interest rates are low right now? I do think that that creates, there's a lot of pressure that people put on themselves and you think that this is, here's the first question. Now, look, this is, this is, this is some tea leaves, but I also feel like it requires a little bit of what's been happening over the last month. Uh, An interesting thing happened over the last two to three weeks. Um, We all know mortgage rates are tied to the 10 year treasury. That's uh, when you're, when you're watching mortgage rates and you're trying to figure out if, if you're locking in or letting it ride. You're always watching the 10-year treasury. Well, we had something very unique happen that you don't see happen with the mortgage market is banks, because the demand was already there, because remember, this economy was humming. I mean, we're getting jobs reports that are best in history. Everything's cranking. A lot of houses are being built. A lot of people are in line to close on houses because we're quickly approaching spring when, you know, is a, usually a, a jumping housing market. Yep. Banks basically said when, when 10-year treasuries went to zero, pretty much, Banks said, you know what? We're not going to honor that, that relationship that's always occurred. We're gonna, we've got enough business coming in. Thank you, but no, we're not going to do no, thank you. We're, we're not going to do that. So you actually saw interest rates on mortgages not go down with the 10-year treasury. They actually spiked up. Mm-hmm. And here's what is, this is why the Federal Reserve, I do think, look, what has the government done is they've announced that they're going to do, they've lowered interest rates they dropped them to pretty much zero, and then they also unleashed quantitative easing right. again, meaning that they are going to be putting a lot of liquidity into the markets. That quantitative easing will hopefully help on the, the standpoint that we'll get back to more traditional where the 10-year treasury does reflect its impact in the markets a little bit because of the quantitative easing. But I wouldn't count completely that you're going to get a 2.5% 30-year mortgage. I do think that we've had discussions with our bond traders is that th- there are going to come times where people just from a, a business risk don't want to carry that. But, it, yeah. but that, that's the history lesson. Now let's get to the action report. What is a house? Because it don't, you have to be very careful making long-term, big life-changing decisions for something for a short-term event that we're all experiencing right now. And a house is a type of transaction that I would say, if you're not going to be in that house for just like an investment, five to seven years, Love it. what are you doing? I mean, this is not something that if you think you're going to move in this house, be out of it in three years. Just because there's an opportunity right now, you have to be very careful having reaction. Just like you would not want to react with how your portfolio looks, you don't want to react with your behavior. Now, if you know you're buying a house, you have, you're keeping with the money guy rules of keeping housing expenses below 25%. And, you know, I would, by all means, you know, there's a lot of benefits to home ownership. You know, Carter, who's one of our principals mm-hmm. here, he's building a brand new house. Bo just closed on just a house closed. less than two months ago. Yep. So, I mean, there is a lot to home ownership, and this maybe this works to your favor that you get a great long-term rate, but just make sure the why matches up to your goals, your risk profile, 
and, and you know, and, and all that stuff comes into play instead of just letting it be a knee-jerk reaction to buying a big long-term holding that you'll find out is very illiquid, so it Love needs it. to line up nicely. Um, okay, two more. All right, here we go. So this one is from uh, Family Videos. That sounds like a nice, that's a nice name. Uh, is it time to aggressively do Roth conversions oh, yeah. for my pre-age 72 post-retirement parents? So I'm going to answer that in two ways. That's a great question. Question number one, is doing aggressive Roth conversions post-retirement pre-72 a sound strategy? Yeah, there's a lot of opportunity in there. If you can play the income tax game, it might make sense for you to accelerate income into the current years, convert IRA dollars into Roth dollars or 401k dollars into Roth dollars at relatively low tax brackets, tax rates now, so that at age 72, your RMDs aren't as large, right? It's essentially a way to prepay the tax, get the RMDs down. Uh, is that a sound strategy? Yes. Does the current market environment, current market volatility affect or impact that? Likely not, because this is more of a tax planning discussion, tax planning question, than an investment market planning discussion. Now, if your parents are someone who are forced into early retirement, or their income changed significantly because of the volatility, then perhaps there's some opportunity. But I would not start changing financial strategy solely because of volatility right now. That is a sound strategy, but it doesn't need to be because of what's going on right now. It needs to be because it was a sound strategy a year ago or six months ago or three months ago, and it will still be a sound strategy six months from now, nine months from now, a year from now. Well, I want to, and I'm, this isn't a different take. It's just adding a few more facets to, to what needs to be considered. I do, like we have a number of clients that are doing Roth conversion strategies because it's not uncommon. Somebody retires when they're 55 years old. They're, they go from a high income situation to a very low income situation. So it makes sense to maximize those lower tax rates with a Roth conversion sure. strategy. Exactly. And, and that's, so there are people that are doing that. We have clients every year doing Roth conversions. And, because, and I think this is the crux of the question or the, the, the theme that's there is that now that we know markets are off 25 to 30%, is this a great time while the values are down? The, the, the value of that conversion is really powerful because the, the principal's been compressed. When you convert now, a lot of potential. I like that thought process. Here's the only thing, because I've had conversations with you, mm -hmm. I've had conversations with Carter. We do want to do that with clients and, and for people that they know without a doubt that we're locking in this much of a Roth conversion. Now, the problem I see is we have a group of clients every year because of the Affordable Care Act. They're trying to keep their income below a threshold to make sure that they don't trigger the taxability, the, the Medicare surcharges, or even the ACA deduct, you know, yep. the deduction of their premiums. There's a lot of things at play. I would caution you, and this is what Bo was getting to, Make sure it is a sound strategy while you have the principal compressed. You can you can get a lot of potential converted into a Roth where hopefully it will grow in a tax-free fashion in the future when we hit recovery. Just make sure you're not overdoing this way too early in this tax year that you screw up or have unintended consequences with your Medicare premiums or you know your HCA deductibility. Mm -hmm. there, there's a lot of there's a lot of things. The Affordable Care Act, you, you have to pay attention to those things. So just make sure you're doing, you have to take into account all variables. This is why as a financial planner, 
I get so nervous about giving this type of specific advice is because there's typically a lot of variables that go into Roth conversion strategy. So you would make the argument if you're someone who is entertaining doing this strategy, or if you're someone who is thinking about encouraging your parents to do this sort of strategy, perhaps it makes sense to seek the guidance of a professional to make sure you are accounting for all of those variables. Well, even like the taxability of social security, a lot of people, they get so excited that they're in these low tax brackets, they do the Roth conversions, and then they find out, oh my goodness, now my Social Security is taxed at 85%. My Medicare premiums have gone up. The Affordable Care Act premiums are no longer deductible. All that stuff needs to be taken into account into a cohesive plan. But yes, the nature of the question is, this is an incredible time to be looking at Roth conversions. Just make sure there's no blind spots that are going to derail this awesome opportunity. So here, here's the last one, uh, and this is just one that's kind of kind of real. So it's kind of an interesting to is interesting one to to land with because we know that we are in uncertain times, and we don't know uh, how we don't know how deep this is going to go. We don't know how long it's going to go. We really don't know the true financial implications of it yet, right? right. So we're staying abreast right. of that. So this guy said, "Hey, how would you recommend someone's investment strategy change if they get laid off during this time?" Yeah, right. And the answer to that question is. Sometimes life throws us curveballs that aren't expected. Like right now, we are in a black swan market environment economy event, but those sort of things happen in our lives as well. Sometimes things happen that are outside of our control that we just can't plan for the unknown unknowns. The things that you can do is if you are someone who's in an industry that perhaps is getting very hard, getting hit very hard by what's going on right now economically, or you're someone who's concerned that maybe my job is at risk, now probably is that time that you do need to be shoring up even additional cash reserves, where the normal three to six months might make sense in normal times. Maybe now you do have to increase that. And perhaps, yeah, you might be walking away from some investment opportunity if you have to stockpile that in cash instead of putting it into investments. But at the end of the day, if you're in that sort of circumstance, you have to make sure that you follow the order of operations the right way and at the top at the top ish of that order is make sure you have appropriate emergency reserves. Well, very unique times like this, your appropriate emergency reserve might be different than it is at other times. Yeah, and it, it goes back to and you, you said it, in financial order of operations, respecting the foo, you gotta have that that bridge over troubled waters. You gotta have the cash reserves, you gotta have the off-risk assets that um, will get you through this. So if you are one of those people. That is, man, I feel for you. We say prayers for you because I think that is the, that is the unfortunate thing that will come out of this. I think, and I'm, I'm hopeful that it will be short term because I think this feels more like a natural disaster. It's not like there's a systemic issue that, that has derailed this economy. So hopefully it's a very short term thing, but I would encourage everybody be proactive with your finances, just like you are, are figuring out what you're going to do for your family to, to keep them safe to keep them from the coronavirus, you also want to be doing that with your financial life. And if you know you're in an industry that could be impacted, um, do the steps now. Look into it and um, don't overcut. I would, I, you know, because I, I think that this is a time, I, and I think it just happens naturally. I had a few more phone calls with clients yesterday saying, what should I do this? You know, and, and a lot of the big purchases, some of the vacations, some of that stuff, all the discretionary control you have you're trying to get your footprint to be as small as possible so that when you then do the measurement of what you need to make it through this 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 dark period, 
you're not having to completely cut out all of your growth sure. assets, but you are being realistic with yourself to make sure you once again have that bridge over troubled waters to get you to safer ground. Here's our commitment to you guys. We're going to stay on top of this thing. We're going to keep monitoring. We're going to keep watching it. Right now, we are consuming as much information as we can so that we can shuffle through it and provide you guys great insight. If you're out there and you have not subscribed to the YouTube channel, that's going to be the best way to stay in touch with us so that we can let you know when new videos come out. When we, This live stream wasn't planned. We decided, no. hey, we're, you know, vacations we're, got canceled. We probably are going to be in the... We ought to talk to the people. If you're subscribed, if you ring the bell to get notifications, that's how you're going to stay on top of the information that we're going to share with you. If you haven't gone out to our website, go to moneyguide.com. Go to our resource page. We have tons of resources out there that you can use even right now to show you how powerful your money can be, things to think about from a tax perspective, what millionaires look like. We have all kinds of resources that you can use to reset and reground you in some of these uncertain times. And I know, and look, everybody here is getting an education in what does it look like to go through a volatile market. And this is something that will serve you well for the rest of your life, but just we'll be your resource, guys. We're going to keep coming to you as we get more legislation, as we get more updates, we'll try to protect you. But in the meantime, I'm telling you, go pay attention to the daily press releases. Protect your family from a health perspective. I understand there's a lot of nervousness out there. I, I get that. So take care of your family. We want to keep our older citizens, especially our people who have underlying health conditions. But that does not necessarily mean that you have to do an apple cart turnover on your entire financial life because reactionary reacting during bad times sometimes can lead to some long-term negative right. consequences. I don't want you to make a permanent decision on a short-term problem that derails your long-term solution. So definitely pay attention to, to what's going on. Tune in exactly what Bo said. Go to moneyguy.com. Go to our YouTube. Subscribe. You know, Give us your email address. We'll keep you up to date on what's going on. And we just care about you guys. I mean, I will tell you that this is this is not likely. I mean, this is one of those things we've had to, we've always known that there were going to, there was going to be a downturn. Didn't know it was going to be a black swan of COVID-19, that sure. it would be something that would put the entire world in, in upheaval, but we'll make it through this. Yep. I mean, it is, we've, if you think back through mankind and think about all the horrible things that have gone on between, and I, look, I, this is not the plague, but mankind has survived the plague. That's right. This is not a terrorist attack where we have people just blowing up stuff, but we'll make it through this. And it's just like, I do feel like the world will get through this. We'll look back. They'll write a lot of books. They'll write a lot of articles on it. But you just need to be equipped to handle this yourself. We're going to continue to be your resource. We care for you tremendously. We want to be your partner to get you through this so that you feel like you can cut through the noise and know the best things you can do for your family. I'm your host, Brian Preston, Mr. Bo Hansen, the Money Guy team. We're going to be there for you. The Money Guy Show is hosted by Brian Preston. Abound Wealth Management is a registered investment advisory firm regulated by the Securities and Exchange Commission in accordance and compliance with the securities laws and regulations. Abound Wealth Management does not render or offer to render personalized investment or tax advice through The Money Guy Show. The information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial, tax, investment, or legal advice.